sermon text is Matthew 13, 52, and 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Matthew 13, 52. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This is God's word. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ the Rock slash Renewal Church. (laughs) Interesting time, isn't it? Um, I hope that you will give grace to people of my generation who are a little slow on making adjustments, especially when it comes to what we call things. When you've been calling something by one name for over 30 years, it's a challenge to change names. It really is. But actually, our family is rather notorious about changing names. Uh, I remember when I met my beautiful wife, Valerie, she didn't like the name Valerie. She thought it, I don't know what it was that bothered her, but she wanted to be called Val. But Valerie was the first girl that I had ever met with that name, and I thought it was beautiful. I I thought it had an aroma. I I thought it had kind of a sing-song about it. I just loved the way it rolled off my lips. So I persisted for years in calling her Valerie, only she does prefer to be called Val. When I first met her, Uh, I was in the Air Force, as many of you know. It was my first time that I'd been away from home for any length of time. I guess by that time I'd been gone about a year uh, from my home here in Memphis. And uh, um, I I decided that I I wanted to use my middle name. Uh, My name is Fred, of course, but here in the South we have this sweet little thing about wanting to call everybody Freddy or Billy, or Jimmy, or Billy Bob, or something like that. And, and I was really tired of that. I felt like I'm too old to be Freddie. And I didn't want to be called that. So I introduced myself to Val and her family at, by my middle name, which is Lee. I thought, I like that. It has a nice ring to it. It's funny, to this day, I can go up to Val's family in New Brunswick, and everybody calls me Lee. And about half the time I forget, oh, they're talking to me. (laughs) I need to adjust. But it's always been this way. I I remember how after uh, Chris got older, he no longer wanted to be called Chrissy. And so we... And, uh, and then, of course, after uh, Denise was married and started having children, uh, I s- gradually, with the passing of time, stopped introducing her as Denise Bennett and began to call her by Denise Horn. And, uh, but it does take us a little time to adjust, so please give some grace. And if we, we slip up, don't think that that's an affront or we're challenging the name change or anything. It's just that we're... Uh, we're old. Anyway, praise the Lord. Um, so I, I want to talk some this morning about Renewal Church and uh, particularly some, uh, what is a Renewal Church? I mean, if we're going to have this name, which we are, of course, uh, then, then what is a Renewal Church? And there are three things that I'd like for us to consider this morning. Uh, number one, a, a Renewal Church, I believe, is a church that catches a glimpse of glory for a new season, a new generation, and indeed, even life in a new century. Number two, I believe that a renewal church is always on a journey to the cross. It's what it's about. And the purpose of the cross, of course, is a measure of demolition. And number three, I'd like for us to think about the path forward, because oftentimes with a name change, there are many other changes that come along, but it is the path forward. 
So let's begin this morning with a, a glimpse of glory. What I'm talking about here is a, a glimpse into the, the presence, the nature, and the ways of God. I, I believe Pastor Chris uh, was alluding to that this morning in his, his prayer. The kingdom within us is really, truly groaning to be released through us into this world, into whatever your world is, into this present evil age, as the scriptures call it, that we live in. So let's talk about living a kingdom lifestyle by design. The scriptures that you heard read, the first one was from Matthew 13, 52. And if I could sort of give you... uh, Fred Lee's amplified version here. Therefore, every scribe, let's say student. Therefore, every student instructed, and students are instructed, right? Concerning the design principles of the kingdom of heaven is like a householder. He has a lifestyle who brings out of his treasure, out of his storeroom, Things both new and old. Valerie and I recently came upon a a new television show that we've become big fans of. Probably to none of your surprise, I enjoy watching HGTV, Home and Garden Television Network. And I've come across this program called Fixer Uppers. Anybody a fan? Any other fans of Fixer Uppers? Oh, man, I I am really caught up in this program. And when I like something, I'm going to preach it. So just hang in there and we're going to move on. But I'm going to preach a little bit about this show. Uh, Fixer Upper is hosted by a a couple. Uh, Their names are Chip and Joanna Gaines. Now, I've done a little research, and I find out that they both went to school in Waco, Texas, of all places, Baylor Baylor University there. They're Christians, they're believers, uh, and they have this program. Now, there are many shows in the genre of remodeling older homes, and I sort of enjoy it. I'll admit that my, my favorite part is Demolition Day. I like just tear it down, take a hammer, a sledgehammer, chainsaw, whatever you want to do, but take something to it. But there are many shows like this, and uh, HGTV is full of them. What I love about this particular one is the spirit of the couple's relationship and how they've worked out working together. I notice on their website that most of the viewers who were commenting were talking about this aspect of it. This relationship that they have, how they so freely work together and and how they relate to their clients, the people that they're working for. Even more, they were, even less they were, I should say, even less they were talking about the actual content of the show. What I see is that by design, they are modeling a kingdom lifestyle. I hear a lot of folks today talking about marketplace ministry. Sometimes I think I know what they're talking about, and other times I don't think I do. But anyway, I believe that this particular program, what it's representing, what it's expressing, is a great example of what could be called marketplace ministry. Now, it's not because they are blatant about sharing their faith by preaching to the audience or their clients or constantly quoting scriptures and praising God for every good thing that comes along the way. I mean, after all, the program's on HGTV. It's not on TVN, okay? So it's on HGTV. But they're they're presenting themselves as, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're about. We're the real deal. And I think that's what has really attracted me to this. There doesn't appear to be much in the way of put on, anything to fake us out. They're just being themselves. I hesitate to apply the title of a reality program because of all that conjures up. But nevertheless, uh, more than one viewer has said this. I can't watch the other shows like this anymore because their interaction seems so fake. Once you're exposed to the real, and friends, I hope that we would get that. Once people see Christ in us, the hope of glory, once they see us living out the kingdom, what does the scripture say? Where's the kingdom of God? 
it's in us. But it's groaning, it's yearning to be released into this world. Once they see this kingdom lifestyle, they start hungering for it. They see something that they desire. They want their marriage. They want their family. They want their everyday work, whatever it is they're engaged in. They want it to be something like this. I believe on this program they give us a glimpse of glory. Community transformation is one of their taglines. Community transformation one house at a time by taking the worst house on the block and making it someone's dream home. Or as Chip likes to put it succinctly, they take crappy and make it happy. <laughs> Not my words. <laughs> but anyway, one of the things I've noticed that when they take the clients around, they show them three different properties from which to choose from. And Chip likes to give them names. Now, because he is who he is, he looks at a house in the state that he's in, and he calls it as he sees it. Nothing embellishing it, not, not necessarily trying to sell it. He just calls it what, it what it is so they can all know what they're talking about later on. But you know what is important? The names that we give people and communities because that's how we remember them. That's how we talk about them. I've known over the years that there's one thing that will endear people to you. Remember their name and use it frequently. See, people appreciate that. They feel like they're not just being dealt with as a mass, as some kind of unknown, a number, but they actually know who I am and they care about me. Another uh, part of this program that uh, gets my attention is that typically all the clients have trouble seeing the potential in some of these properties. Uh, oftentimes the reaction as they drive up in their car is, OMG, why are they showing us this? This, you know, this just needs to be blown up and torn down. Uh, this has no potential at all. And so they have trouble getting around what is in order to see what can be. Now, one of the first things that happens is that Joanna begins to walk them through the property and she starts casting vision for what they can do. And she's talking about more than hanging a few curtains or putting some paint on the wall. She's talking about things like, we're just going to take this whole wall out. We're just going to open it up. All these little cut-up rooms are going to be one big open area. You know, and, and find, and, but they, they can't get their eyes off the shag carpet or, or the, the, the dead roach in the corner or the popcorn on the ceiling. You know, they're, they're, they're struggling to get past the superficial to really see the bones. You know, as a gardener, there's only one thing that I can think of that I really like about winter. It allows me to see the bones of the garden just like you need to see the bones of the house, of the home that you have for your family, for your children and your children's children, to see the bones of your community of faith that you're a part of, to really see what's important. Then you can begin to see the potential and the opportunity to change some things that are going to give God the glory. I, I believe this design principle is calling those things that are not as though they were in order to help people own the property and receive it as a faith project. Once a, a choice is made, Joanna then takes them to her computer and she gives them one of these virtual tours where she's showing what the house is going to look like. She's showing them how the rooms are going to be changed and how they're going to be furnished and all the rest. And typically it's accompanied by all sorts of oohs and ahs and a little doubt about, are you sure that you can take this barn and transform it into something that I would like to live in? When construction is finished, well, before that, there's Chip's favorite day demolition day. I've never seen someone enter into demolition with such enthusiasm and excitement 
as Chip Gaines. It's, it's really remarkable. He gets out his sledgehammer. He doesn't use small tools in, on demolition day. It's a sledgehammer. It's a pry bar. I, I'm watching him throw himself through sheetrock just to tear it out and uh, uh, rip up counters out of kitchens and cabinets out of the floor and knock out walls and all the rest of it. He loves this particular day. And then once that is done uh, uh, and construction is finished, Joanna furnishes and decorates the house. And just before the clients are allowed to see it, they put up this big billboard in front of the house of what it looked like when they first drove up. And they asked them, are you ready to see your new home? When they say yes, they pull back the billboard and they see the transformation. And typically, they're awed. They're blown away. Wow, look what this couple have done. You know, I'd like to have a life that when people saw what I once was, and they kind of pull back that picture and look at what God has done, they'd say, wow, God really is a miracle worker. What, what, what an incredible transformation from what he did with his life to what God wants to do with all of our lives. Now, I understand that many people struggle with change, with transition, and even transformation. I think the truth is that we all do to some degree. Right, right, right now, Val and I are going through a struggle like this. We, we've lived in the home we have uh, here in Memphis for 16 years. And it, it's a great home. We've loved living there. It's everything about it. We like it. But it's a big house. And it's just two of us most days. Now, we're going to have the whole family over today for dinner and uh, ne- next Sunday for Easter and an Easter egg hunt and all that. And it's great at those times, but there really aren't th- that many of those times. Most of the time, it's just Val and I banging around in this great big house. I wear myself out just trying to find her in the house. You know, I've, I've discovered that, that I can yell and she still can't hear me at the other end of the house. And, you know, we travel a lot and we come in off the road. And for the next week or two, we nearly kill ourselves trying to clean it and maintain it and fix it up and all the rest of it. And we're thinking... Wow, you know, maybe it's time to think about downsizing a little bit. Of course, we tried that once. Both our children had said they were never coming back home again. They lied. Anyway, <laughs> that's how we ended up in the house we got. But anyhow, so but we, we're, we're kind of struggling with this process. And, and Jeremy and Denise were taking us around to show us some houses. You know, the kids, for some reason, all want us over in their area of Memphis. And so uh, uh, I guess to look after the old folks. But anyway, so we, we're driving around and looking. And I find myself just like the clients on Fixer Upper. I'm like, why is Jeremy bringing us into this neighborhood? You know, and, and, and he's trying to get me to focus on a house. And all I can see is the one next door. And I'm like, I don't want to live next to this guy. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't take care of his yard. He doesn't paint his house, you know. Why do I want to live into this? It's that same struggle to recognize that what God wants to do in and through us isn't just about us. It's about everybody around us. It's about those who live around us, those who go to school around us, those who we work with, whatever it may be. It's more about them than it's even about us. You know, we can all be reticent about embracing change. And we can even be tempted to think it's a work of the devil. But times of regeneration, renewal, and restoration don't come from hell. Quite the contrary. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Do you enjoy times of refreshing? Isn't that what this is? This is a time where we we are able to come apart from what we normally do during the week, gather together as a people of faith in the presence of God, and just enjoy this time of refreshing. doesn't really matter what we were thinking about, what we were feeling, what we were doing before we came here. 
God refreshes us by His presence. And what a wonderful life-saving thing that is. How transformative that is for all of us. I love the passage in Acts 3.19. Repent therefore and be converted so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I believe that we still are in the presence of the Lord. He promised that He'd never leave us. He'd never forsake us. He said that wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am, right here. He is in the midst of us. It doesn't matter whether we're in a multi-million dollar complex that the bank owns (laughs) or we're in in a, a school auditorium like this. He is present with us, not because of the building, the surroundings, the neighborhood or anything, but because we're here. That's what it's about. We're the living stones of the presence of God, of God's home, His house on this earth. The name Christ the Rock came from the second scripture that was read this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4, if I may read... Of course I can. I have the mic. Um, I'm going to read it again. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud... All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. Remember the manna from heaven? All drank the same spiritual drink. Remember the water from the rock? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That passage of scripture that God spoke to me about the name of this church all those years ago, is about transition. Israel's coming out of Egyptian bondage. They're being led by God through a wilderness. And in that wilderness, he's telling them, even in this time of transition, I'm trying to get you from where you were to where you can be in a promised land. A land flowing with with milk and honey. A a land of freedom and liberty. But we've got to go through this transition first. And it was a a long transition. and, And that's what it's speaking to. You know, we caught a glimpse of glory in Virginia Beach in 1983. I've shared this before. Val and I had been going to school. I'd graduated from seminary. She graduated from the University of Memphis, and and we'd been pastoring as student pastors, scribes, I guess you'd call us, uh, for about uh, five years. And we ended up in Virginia Beach in this church that Val liked to watch on television, and we caught a glimpse of glory. We saw something we'd never seen before. We had certainly never seen it in Memphis, Tennessee, We were just blown away, not only by the size and the scope and the the passion of it all, but by the people. It was truly a church filled with the Spirit and all kinds of people. And I remember standing on that platform. That's another story how I ended up on that. I guess it was for God to give me a better view. But standing on that platform and I'm looking out across this congregation that's black and white and brown. Now, all kinds of people. I know what some of them were. All kinds of people. And I remember thinking, but wait, they told us we couldn't do this in Memphis. <laughs> Somebody lied. This is a southern, Virginia's southern, right? This is a southern city. Look at what is taking place here. We had a glimpse of glory. Within two days on the way home, we knew what we were, we were to do. Having caught this glimpse of glory, we needed to make a journey to the cross. <laughs> and we needed to have a demolition day. Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Remembering that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt and how the people responded to his entrance into the city. That they began to take their cloaks off and lay them out into the road. That they began to break palm branches off the trees and they're waving them in the air. I mean, it was, it was festive. It was glorious. It was triumph. It was a glimpse of glory. And they were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. Now you see, this glimpse of glory was a fulfillment of a passage in the Old Testament, a prophet, Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, but it's quoted in Matthew 21, 5. It says this, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey's colt. You know, this glimpse of glory would be followed by another day when Jesus would be paraded through those same streets of Jerusalem on his journey to the cross. After a glimpse of glory often comes demolition day when everything that you thought you were going to be able to carry over with to have that nice, gentle, peaceful transition, you find out the only way to get from here to there is through demolition. And we must learn to embrace it. It was certainly going to be a demolition day for Jesus and for his disciples. Just as there was a demolition day for Moses. You know, Moses is called by God out there in the wilderness up onto the mountain. And there on the mountain, he's in the presence of God. Can you imagine? (laughs) He's in the presence of God. And he cries out to the Lord, Lord, let me see your glory. Of course, I'm thinking if you're in the presence of God, what else do you need? But anyhow, let me see your glory. And what does the Lord do? He hides him in the cleft of the rock. And he puts his hand over and just kind of lets him see the glory as he passes by. He gets this incredible vision of the glory of God. He receives the Ten Commandments. And as Carlton Heston is walking down from the mountain. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wait. See, there's one of those times I forgot to change the name. But anyway, as Carlton Heston is walking down the mountain with those two tablets of stone, what does he find? Israel's run amok. They haven't been down there having a prayer meeting while he was gone. They've gone nuts. They've taken all that gold that God allowed them to plunder from the Egyptians, and they've decided we need something tangible. Let's make us a god, an idol. We'll make a golden calf. And much to to Moses' horror, he sees the children of Israel. They're partying. They're they're, they're just going crazy down there. And and, and he's he's infuriated. And, And in a passion of anger, he takes these two stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments and breaks them on the ground. And then he says, bring that golden calf to me. And he has it ground into powder. And he sprinkles the powder in the water. And he says, here, drink this. Oh, it was demolition day for sure. (laughs) But notice how quickly it can happen though. You can step out of a glimpse of glory and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, this will just kind of gradually and peacefully and sort of naturally take... No, I'm afraid not. There's almost always going to be a demolition day. And there was surely one that day. Now Moses was going to have to go back up the mountain and do it all over again (laughs) in order to get the people of God where God wanted them to be. Mm. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet's caught up into the presence of the Lord. Uh, I mean, he's seeing incredible visions. He's in the presence of God. The glory, he's getting a glimpse of glory. But right in the midst of it, he's suddenly, painfully aware, wait a minute, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm a sinful man. I I live in the midst of a people with unclean lips. Oh, I have unclean lips myself. I'm doomed. I'm broken. I'm undone. He was demolished even in the presence of God's holiness. But God in His grace, remember the vision? sends a coal, a burning coal from the altar and touches his lips and cleanses them. And in short order, 
the man who'd caught a glimpse of glory and had been undone in the presence of a holy God now understands the grace of God is calling me beyond where I am into something else. And he cries out to the Lord, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. I find this pattern all through the scripture. We could talk about Ezekiel. Here was another prophet of God. But before he was a prophet of God, he'd been a priest. He'd been a priest in the temple, in Jerusalem, in the promised land. But all of that had been demolished. The Babylonians had come in and destroyed it all, carried off most of the people of Israel into exile. And now Ezekiel has no temple to minister in, no priesthood to be a part of. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what God wants to do with him now. See, transitions often like that. Whatever we've been trusting in for our identity, for our sense of purpose in life, for our reason for being and for living and breathing and taking up space on this earth, whatever that is, we, we, we've lost sight of that. And he's in transition. But once again, even there in this terrible place, like Isaiah, he's caught up into the presence of God. He sees these four living creatures. It sounds very much like the Revelation of John. Uh, what is that? Revelation 21. Uh, he sees these four living creatures. He sees all this glory of God. And then God hands him a book. It's a book of lamentations. And he says, here, eat this. And Ezekiel says, it was sweet in my mouth. But it was bitter in my stomach. It was demolition day for who Ezekiel thought he was. But once he's digested this lament, which puts him in touch with the very heart of God, what grieves the spirit, what grieved and disappointed God, he was now ready for the path that followed. And that was to be a prophet to an exile community for the rest of his life. You know, a glimpse of glory is usually accompanied by a change of heart, a change of name, a change of location, even a change of vocation, as in Ezekiel's place. He became a prophet. In Matthew 16 we have the story where Jesus is in a dialogue with one of his disciples named Simon Barjona. And he said, Simon, who do people say that I am? And he gives an answer, oh, there's a lot of different opinions out there, Lord. That's Fred's amplified version. Um, but then Jesus makes it really personal. He says, Simon Barjona, who do you say that I am? And suddenly, it's as if Simon is another man. He opens his mouth and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It may have been one... Ever open your mouth and say something and you're like, Did I just say that? <laughs> Where did that come from? Well, that came from the Spirit of God. Jesus looked at him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, son of Jonah, okay? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, here it comes, I say to you that you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven to bind and to loose whatever is already bound and loosed in heaven itself. You, Simon Bar-Jonah, are now Peter. Jesus gave him a new name, and he also was giving him a new path forward. He said, I'm going to give you my authority. I've given you a new name, but now I give you my authority. You're going to have the authority to bind and to loose. Things that you've been awed, things that you've been seeing me, Jesus, doing on the... You're going to do some of these things. And I'm going to build something to the glory of God. A path forward. 
praise God for a glimpse of glory. I think most of us have come to understand we all need the cross, but somehow it's often hard to embrace the idea that there must be demolition before we can move on to a new path forward. What an amazing political season. Val and I were so excited to have a couple of weeks up in Canada, we thought, praise the Lord, we get away from this. (laughs) Surely they won't be talking about this up there. Well, not so much on TV, but oh my goodness, every, oh, you're Americans. What do you think about Donald Trump and who are you going to vote for? And what about Hillary? What about that socialist Bernie Sanders? And on and on, you know, and you're like, oh, God, shoot me. But <laughs> I don't know. I've lived through a lot of presidential campaigns. I mean, I, I, I go all the way back to Eisenhower, okay? And he, even earlier than that, actually, but I wasn't paying attention. But uh, that was probably the first one I paid attention on. And probably the first time we had a TV to pay attention on. But anyway, so uh, I thought, oh, my, what, what a season. But here's what I find so amusing. Well, number one, what I find amusing is all the political pundits and experts. <laughs> it's like you're watching them talk and trying to explain it all. And you realize they have no clue what they're talking about. They, have, they don't know any better than I do. Okay? And I kind of consider myself a student of this kind of thing, a scribe, if you will. And so, uh, but the other thing is I love it. When on the day of a critical primary or caucus, you'll see one of the candidates get up and say something like this. I am in this to the finish. We are going right to the convention. It doesn't matter what happens tonight, but I do tell you this, we're going to win. Next day. (laughs) Cold light of dawn. And suddenly reality breaks forth. I am undone. I have been demolished. Nobody voted for me. It was like they forgot my name was on the ballot. It was my home state. I couldn't even win that. What's up with this? So I have decided to suspend my campaign because, help me somebody. What did you say? I can't see a path forward. (laughs) Boy, that's telling, I think. They can't see. Can you see a path forward from where you are to where God wants you to be? See, that's where we need our faith. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. The path forward for Jesus' disciples was going to be... I'm not going to read it. You can read it. Would be different. Jesus would suffer and die and be raised again on the third day. Now, back to Peter for a moment. He loved the glimpse of glory, but he wasn't so crazy about what happened next. He found it difficult to embrace demolition day. He was definitely not Chip Gaines in this thing. He didn't have a sledgehammer to pry bar, but he decides that the best thing to do is to talk Jesus out of this because he couldn't fathom the demolition of the relationship that they'd had with Jesus and one another. It was all good, but that was going away in order to go forward. Like many of us, he was looking for a smooth and painless as possible transition. And here's Peter. I mean, this is all within just a few verses, at least the way it's recorded. And and here's Peter who's just been recognized for receiving revelation. A glimpse of glory from God is now being rebuked for being mindful of the things of man, but not of the things of God. Instead of letting go of the old way and embracing the new, he wanted to hold on. He wanted to hold on. And Jesus says this in verse 24 of that chapter, If anyone desires to come after me, Here is the way. It's the way of self-denial. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of renewal. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, 
we can even be on the wrong path and think that we're still serving God. Isn't that what Saul of Tarsus did in Acts chapter 9? They're on the Damascus road. Here's Saul traveling to Damascus with an entourage in order to persecute the church, in order to persecute the Christians, even kill some if possible. And he catches a glimpse of glory. He wasn't looking for it, but he catches a glimpse of glory. And he's demolished by what he hears and what he sees. He ends up blind in Damascus for three days. He's helpless. He doesn't know what's going on. This glory, this light that appears to him on the Damascus road, the voice says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. I mean, Saul of Tarsus, his whole world is turned upside down. But God in his grace sends his prophet Ananias to open Saul's eyes and to baptize him. And Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, would become Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. I caught a glimpse of glory. It was back in February, right here in this auditorium. When Pastor Chris called for everyone that was going to become a member of Christ the Rock to come forward. And Val and I were sitting there and as all these people were passing, we sit right here on the aisle, and all these people were passing by and lining up across the front. I I nudged Val, I said, I don't know any of them. (laughs) Who are these people? (laughs) You know, I didn't get a good look at all of them, but I don't think I recognized anyone that I would have known by name. And then Pastor Chris did something that, I just wanted to jump up and shout. (laughs) He said, we're going to all share in Christ the Rock's membership covenant. And he brought something old (laughs) out of his treasure, the storehouse, and brought it into our midst as we entered into covenant together to be as one to the glory of God. I caught another glimpse of glory. I think it was just a couple of weeks later when a hundred of us gathered for a night of worship. How many people were you expecting that night, Jeremy? Not that many. Not that many. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I thought, oh, I don't know. This is kind of a strange night we're doing this on. What was it, Friday night? And uh, uh, we weren't in this building. We were in another building. I thought, wow, you know, I wonder what we're going to have, 25 people. We had a hundred people. I see we're about to have another uh, night of worship now, and I, I think that's fantastic. See, to me, those are glimpses of the glory of God that we are on the right path. So, in closing, no amens. In closing, <laughs> what does a renewal church look like? Any of you familiar with that passage of Scripture in Ezekiel 47 where he talks about how God takes him out into a river and at first the water's ankle deep and then it's knee deep and then it's waist deep and then it becomes so deep he can't walk across it anymore and he's going to have to swim. I've often heard that passage of Scripture Uh, as though the deep water were the ultimate destination. And yet when I read it, I find something different. I also find that the Lord asked Ezekiel in this particular passage of Ezekiel 47, Prophet, what do you see? Val and I have been praying since Thanksgiving every morning as we stand our watch upon the rampart. Lord, help us to see what you are saying, not just hear the words, but we want to see what you are saying so that we may know what to do when we are reproved. We were praying to God, make us more effective, make us more fruitful. We humbly admit we don't know it all. We may have been around for a long time, but longevity does not necessarily equate with productivity. 
for many people, it seems like as the years go by, they become less and less productive. But I don't think it has to be that way for the people of God. We've got a kingdom within us that's crying out and yearning to be released. Uh, There's so much that we can be a part of, and especially in a community of faith like this that preaches the gospel, that perceives that we are all on a mission to the glory of God. As I began to see what I heard God saying through this passage, here's what I saw a renewal church looking like. It's funny, it looked like my swimming pool. (laughs) You know, I find that's the way dreams and visions often are. It's something you can relate to, okay? And I'm, I'm seeing a swimming pool. And I see the edge of the pool. And I see the steps coming down into the water. And I see that as you progress in the pool, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And in most pools, there's even a rope to let you know that on the other side of this, you need to swim. Because if you're planning on walking, you better be really good at holding your breath. And so I'm looking at this and I thought, well, that's what a renewal church would look like, wouldn't it? It's not just about getting out into the deep and becoming a church of porpoise or poor pie or whatever that is. Uh, That's not what it's about. It's about more than that. Because in Ezekiel 47, it says that when the Lord had brought me out into the deepest of the water, then he took me back to the bank. And on that bank were all these trees, just like that vision in Revelation. And they were very fruitful. There was fruit for food to sustain us. There were leaves for healing. It was an amazing vision. But then he turned and he also saw that from the bank there were fishermen. And they were casting their nets into the water. And they were catching this great load of all kinds of fish. I thought, wow, isn't that great? Certainly we're at one time we were all on the edge of the pool. Uh, last time I ministered here, I, I asked... Who needed to take the next step to follow Jesus? And I remember three men, one in the back of the room there, one in the back of the room in the middle, and one right back there. I'd call that the edge of the pool. I remember sitting back there. That's where I started. First time we started going to church, I didn't go to the front row. Wasn't interesting. I wanted to be as far from the front row as I could get, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to see what they were like. Are these people real or are they fake? It's what they're talking about. Are they living it? Can I, can I actually see this kingdom life they're talking about? What, what, what's the design going on here? Edge of the pool. We're to go to the edge of the pool. And we're to take people by the hand who don't know how to swim. That's what a renewal church does. And we bring them step by step by step into the waters. And we teach them how to swim. That's what Valerie and I have loved for these years in our house where we've had this pool. We've been able to teach our grandchildren how to swim. And you know the marvelous thing is, they all swim better than we do. (laughs) I guess they'd save us now. But uh, it's amazing to see the transformation that's taking place. Once they were afraid of the water, all they could do is kind of put their toes in it from the edge of the pool. Now they just throw themselves in. They're unafraid. They're free. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But it's not liberty at the expense of all the other people sitting on the edge of the pool. It's not about spiritual segregation. Oh, we're the crowd called to the deep things of God. We don't go in the shallow end where the people don't know how to swim. Bunch of dummies. <laughs> no. We're to come out of the deep water by the hand of the Lord. We're to get back to the edge of the pool. We're to take them by the hand. We're to do for them. We're blessed to be a blessing, aren't we? We're to do for them what God and somebody did for us. Taught us how to get used to it how to acculturate, how to learn to swim. Mm. A renewal church sees what God is saying and then by faith goes and does it.
I pray this morning, Lord, that as Renewal Church, we'll catch a glimpse of glory. A glimpse of glory, of glory that we've not witnessed before. Something more than what we've known. As good as it's been over the last 30 some odd years, Lord God, we know there's more. We know there's more. We want more of your kingdom in us being expressed and manifested in this world. We want to be a community of faith. A community of faith that has caught a glimpse of glory and is not afraid or ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. But we embrace that cross even to the demolition of ourselves in order that we can say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me on this new path forward. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter unto the new day. I declare to you that Christ the rock lives on in renewal church. But we have a name because we've been transformed. We've caught a glimpse of glory. We've been demolished in all our opinions and traditions and wants and likes and dislikes. And now we're at the threshold of a new path forward. Oh, Lord, thank you for these around us that we're so blessed to be able to make this journey with. We might not have chosen each other, but you chose us. For whom you called, you also chose that you might be glorified. If you're here and you've been on the edge of the pool, so to speak, and you're ready to take a step into the water, maybe you just might want to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you do anything. Just If you want to raise your hand, thank you. Anyone else? Take another step. Take another step. Don't get so happy on the first step. There's some other steps. There's so much more. There's so much more. Father, I just thank you right now for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you're always, always renewing us. That during the course of our lives, there will be many times of renewal. And I thank you for a church that expresses that and is on the cutting edge of it. In Jesus' name.